0: Hey, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those that are gathered in Lakeville and our venue as well. invite all of you, if you would, to please turn to Galatians chapter 1. Last week we started a series that we're calling Set Free, and we're asking the question, what would your life look like if you were really free? And I don't mean politically free or financially free, I mean Jesus free. Like, if you were truly free by the power of Jesus, what would that look like in your life? And it's why we're one week into this series, and I'm already getting emails, already having conversations, just saying, Pastor, you have no idea how much I need this. Like, I want this freedom. I want to go from just understanding or knowing that I have freedom to actually living in it. Like, what would that look like Monday morning? What would that look like in my marriage? What would that look like at my work environment? What would it look like if I were really free? And that's what we're talking about. And this morning, we're going to talk about something that is an issue. And my guess is almost every single life here, probably every one. And it is sucking the freedom out of our life. And we need to address it. If we're ever going to be free in Lakeville venue, everybody, there are some of you here this morning. I am trusting in Jesus right now that your life is going to be profoundly impacted by what the word of God says. Some of you today are going to start on the path of truly being free. Who's all for freedom? You ready? All right, Galatians 1, I'm going to invite you in all of our locations, if you're able to stand, to please do so. And let's pick up where we left off, uh, verse 6 of Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to read down through verse 12. Paul is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you. And they want to distort the gospel of Christ, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before and now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Faith family, would you pray for me? Like, actually pray for me? Um, and pray for us that God would set us free this morning. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, I am very, very aware that if that's going to happen, I can't do it. The words of a man do not have the power to grant freedom. The words of God do. So Holy Spirit, come and work and move in our life Please open our eyes to see the, the, the bondage that many of us are in and grant freedom. May we start this morning to taste what freedom is like in Jesus. And we ask it in His name and God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Every day after practice was over, all the players would scatter. Some of them would go to the library. Some of them would go back to the locker room. Some of them would go uh, out to eat with their friends. Uh, everybody would scatter except Sarah. Sarah stayed. There were always more laps to run, always more uh, shots to shoot, always more time that she had to put in. In fact, it was that unrelenting work ethic that gained Sarah the nickname, the devil named after the Looney Tunes cartoon, The Tasmanian Devil, because she was always on the go, always doing something. It was constant in her life. It's also what gained her the status of one of the best athletes in the history of Dartmouth College. In fact, Sarah played field hockey, she played uh, ice hockey, she played lacrosse, and she was the captain of all three of those teams. And because of that, her life just was like a pinball game. She was constantly bouncing back and forth, going to this game, to that game, and this practice, to that practice, and the next sports clinic, and the next sports camp. She was always on the go, and she never came up for air. And she was tired. She knew something needed to change, but she didn't know how. After all, she was Sarah Devon. She was the best player on the team. The, the 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 school needed her. Her teammates needed her. And Tasmanian devils don't stop. And yet something kept growing inside her that was unsettling and had to change in fact one of her friends even said when she goes out she can not even have fun because Sarah always has to be great after all when you're the devil people expect you to be perfect (laughs) and this went on for some time until finally everything came to a head early one July she's preparing for the Olympic festival and Colorado and she gets some news she made the team but she made the B team and she was devastated discouraged but more than that she felt like she would let everybody in her life down and with the weight of expectations crashing on her she said I want out so she took a twenty-two caliber rifle and shot herself in the chest. The devil couldn't outrun her demons. In fact, her best friend from kindergarten said this, and I quote, Sarah was so good at everything that she got caught in a vicious cycle. She wanted to please everybody and she couldn't stop. Sarah wanted rest. And this was the only way she knew how. Faith family, that's tragic. That is heartbreaking. And that is very, very Common. And when I say common, I'm not talking about the suicide part of it. I'm talking about what is common is that we get caught in that vicious cycle of having to please other people. It looks like this in our life. I have got to make my parents proud. I have got to keep the fan base happy. We've got to win. I've got to live up to this standard of beauty so that people will think I'm attractive. I've got to be careful what I say because I don't want anybody to leave the church. I've got to behave in such a a way that I can be accepted by my friends or my colleagues. And all the while, what most of us don't even really realize is that we have become slaves to the opinions of others. And you say, well, this language of uh, of slavery seems strong. No, it's actually biblical. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare. It will capture you. It will hold you in bondage. It will take your life. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Faith family, we have got to get our minds this morning and our hearts around this idea of people pleasing, this longing for acceptance and approval and living up to the expectations of others. Now, because I know how some of you think, which is scary, because I tend to get this question often after a sermon, right? It's, uh, but, but what about question? You know, you'll say something and somebody will say, but what about this? So I know what some of you are already thinking, but isn't there a way... And which we're supposed to please people. So let me address that right out of the gate and then we'll finish the message. Listen to Romans chapter 15 and verse 1. Romans 15, verse 1 says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Watch. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. In other words, right here, Lakeville Venue. Of course you're to seek the good of others. Of course you're to serve other people and in that sense please them. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. What we're talking about as it relates to people pleasing, listen, is this. When the approval of others matters more to you than the approval of God, to the point that the approval of others has become your God. Let me say it again. I'm going to preach. All right. (laughs) When the approval of others, when the approval of others matters more to you than the approval of God, to the point that the approval of others has become your God. Which means this morning, faith family, if we want freedom, who's for freedom? Do you want freedom? Do you want to be set free? Then you better answer this question right here and right now. Do you live to please others or do you live to please God? One is slavery. The other is freedom. And it's exactly what Paul says in verse 10. Look at it again. For am I now, here's the question, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, um, rule number one of biblical interpretation is put the verse in context. Amen? Amen? So we're not going to pull that verse out and build something off of it that's not a part of the flow of the passage. So we need to go back, and, and then we need to go forward to see the context of that verse. So go back to verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now verse 11. Verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Does it sound like Paul is stressing something there? Before it and after it. Well, he is. In fact, here's what Paul is doing. He is defending his apostleship. Why is he defending his apostleship? Okay, I'm glad you're sitting down because this is deep. Because his apostleship was being questioned. That's deep right there, alright. I went to seminary for that, all right? (laughs) Paul is Paul is saying, he's 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 arguing his true apostleship because the people that are stirring the Galatians up, that are troubling them, the Judaizers that we mentioned last week, they are saying that Paul is not legit. Paul's not a real apostle. His gospel is not the right one. Paul is to I don't know, what do you call? Gentile. In fact, one of the arguments, do you remember last week? Just say yes, even if you don't. Do you remember last week when we talked about the fact that uh, the Judaizers, the group that is uh, messing with the Galatians, were saying this? It's Jesus plus circumcision. Do you remember that? Well, what they're saying about Paul is... The reason Paul doesn't add circumcision is because he's a people pleaser. He doesn't want to offend the Gentiles. If Paul adds circumcision to Jesus, then all the Gentiles are going to be upset with him. And Paul doesn't want anybody upset with him. He's playing to his base. To which Paul's argument is, last part of verse 10, are you kidding me? If I wanted to be a people pleaser, I wouldn't be a follower of Jesus. Hello? Have you read the book of Acts? My life hasn't been very easy since I've been a follower of Jesus. All this persecution, all this suffering that I am facing in my life. Why? Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Trust me, if I wanted the popular route, I'd still be a Pharisee of Pharisees. If I wanted everybody to like me in this culture, I'd still be at the top of Judaism but i'd also still be in slavery under the law. And so Paul here in Galatians 1 being faithful to the context is he is arguing against his critics because criticism wasn't new in Paul's life. Any of y'all have critics? Sometimes, Sometimes all right? <laughs> Should be part of my world, all right, all the time, all right? <laughs> Here are some other things that were often said against Paul as well. I mean, another example is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. Uh, When I came to you, brothers, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God, watch with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and message were not implausible words of wisdom. And You can keep reading. What is Paul addressing there? Well, one of the arguments against Paul in Corinth was uh, he's not a legit leader because he's not a very good speaker. Uh, the, the Corinthian culture loved good oratory skills and, and great philosophical debate. And they're like, man, Paul, Paul's not even a, a good speaker. Why would you follow him? You know, follow Apollos or, or go after somebody else. And Paul addresses, here's what my critics are saying about me. There's another one. Philippians 1 verse 15 says, Some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, this was the law thinking. Ready? Everybody, right here. Law thinking is this if you do bad things, then you experience bad things. In other words, your bad circumstances are a result of you're not a very good person. In other words, the argument was. If Paul is in prison all the time, if Paul starts a riot everywhere he goes, then he must not be a legitimate apostle. You see, everywhere he went, listen, everywhere he went, Paul had to live up to the expectations of other people. And it made me think, I was preparing for this this week, and this will age me. Do you remember those two Muppets that always stood in the balcony? (laughs) and just griped about everything I think they were Baptist <laughs> that's just my interpretation of that all right but man do you know do you have people in your life that don't point or call out names but they criticize everything you do you never live up you're never good enough And because of that, you begin to suffer under the bondage of living up to what they think. If you know that feeling, that's exactly where Paul is. But it's not just Paul. I want to show you something else here. Notice also this is happening with the Galatians. Uh, Look at verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. Who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. In other words, listen, faith family, this is big. The Galatians are drifting. Why are they drifting? Because they're giving in to the pressure of the critics. This feeling of conformity. Don't listen to Paul. Come back to the law. Don't, don't go that gospel of grace, faith alone stuff. You know that the law is important. Come back, come back, come back. And they're starting to drift. The pressure is building among their peers. Have you ever felt like this? And you're the ball? <laughs> right? Like that, that, that weight of conformity, that weight of, I got to give in that, that weight of, I got to be who people want me to be. And I got to believe what they tell me. I got to believe. And that pressure builds to the point that you start to drift. You fudge the numbers to please the boss. You compromise sexually to please your boyfriend. You ignore your values to conform with the culture. Church, you drift from the Scriptures because you're afraid it might offend. Here's the imagery I want you to get. A lot of Christians, like the Galatians, are drifting in their faith because they're driving under the influence of others. Your faith is swerving all over the road, not realizing that your intoxication with the approval of other people is sending you straight to prison. You're drunk. You're intoxicated by what others think about you. And so you drift and you swerve. And you're up and down and in and out, and there's no conviction in Christ. I thought about how this is consistent throughout the scripture. Abraham lies about Sarah because he fears the Egyptians. The Israelites wondered because they were afraid of the giants. Saul disobeyed because he was afraid of public opinion. Samson gave in to Delilah because he didn't want to lose her sexual attention. Pilate turns Jesus over to be crucified because he wants to satisfy the crowd. And even good old Peter. Look at Galatians 2. This issue comes back again. Chapter 2, verse 11. But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Why? Because he deserved it. He stood condemned. Why did he stand condemned? For before certain men came from the, came from James, that is Jews, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Peter's in the lunchroom cafeteria eating with the Gentiles until the Jews show up. And when the Jews show up, he can't run across the room fast enough. Because he doesn't want to be seen eating with Gentiles, even though he knows better. Acts 15, Peter's the very one who stands up and says, Why would we put this yoke on the Gentiles that you couldn't even bear? It's by faith alone. The Gentiles are accepted in Jesus. He's a perfect example of, I don't know, maybe us, who know freedom, but don't live in it. Because he's still running when the popular kids show up. And of course, this isn't new. You remember the courtyard? Jesus? (laughs) I've never heard of him. Seriously, I have no idea who you're talking about this people-pleasing has got to stop. If you really, and I really, want to be set free. Now, you may say at this point, I'm glad you're preaching on this, but it doesn't apply to me. To which I would say, okay, like everybody in the Bible except Jesus struggled with this, but you're the exception. (laughs) Right? It's like, maybe I should have preached on pride. Right? (laughs) Right? I mean, come on, let's be real. I just gave you a list of a whole bunch of people struggling with, I'm pretty sure you're in it. In fact, to convince you, here's a list of signs that show us that we're really concerned about pleasing others, often in an unhealthy way. Number one, and I'm going to go rapid fire. You're overcommitted because you can't say no to others. And some of you need to go no further than that one. You're always second-guessing your decisions because you wonder what other people will think about them. Your self-esteem is really important. You want to think that people like me. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. You're afraid to make mistakes in front of others, so you never take any risk. You need companionship to have meaning in life. You lie or exaggerate to impress others. The fish was that big, but the story you told was like that big, right? I've never done that. But anyways, (laughs) you're envious of what others have. You avoid certain people because you always feel like you have to perform. You're always concerned about your appearance and how you look. You show favoritism because you want a certain group to like you. You constantly apologize to everybody because you don't want anybody to be upset. And if I haven't gotten you yet, which I think I have, and if you don't think I have, ask your spouse, right, or a friend. Here's the last one. You're obsessed with social media. (laughs) What do other people say about me? How many reviews do I have? How many followers did I get today? It's all about Pleasing others. So I want you to jot down quickly five reasons why people pleasing is stealing your freedom, why it is sucking the freedom out of you, and why this morning we are saying in Jesus, no more, no more. God, by your power and by your strength in my life, I want to be set free from this bondage. Here are five reasons why I don't want to be this anyway anymore. Number one, people pleasing is impossible. People pleasing is impossible. How many of you have ever made this statement? Well, you know, and if you know it, Lakeville Vin, you just finish it uh, with me, is, you know, you can't please everybody. See, you even know it, Right? You can't please everybody. It's an impossible reality. It, it, it's like juggling, right? So I, I picked out some expectations that people have uh, for a pastor. All right, I, kind of relevant to my life. And so things like, uh, don't ever talk about money, right? I'll come to your church, but here's what I expect out of you. You start talking about money, and I'm out of here, right? Or uh, I want you to be funny. All right, make me laugh, like three times a week, at least, <laughs> Okay? And I want you to have all the answers. So if I come and ask you a question, you better understand everything I'm asking about and be an expert in that field. And you may be able to do one, right? You might be able to do two. Well, I am skilled, aren't I? Right? I got a spiritual gift of juggling. You may be able to do three. Don't encourage me, all right? You might even be able to do four, but probably not, alright? That, that's a gift. And here's my point. That's what some of you look like. In fact, some of you, your life looks like this. And you wonder why you're so exhausted. Because you got to be this kind of dad, and i got to be this kind of employee, and i got to be this kind of spouse, and i got to be this kind of church member, and on and on and on and on the juggling goes. Look at me. It's impossible. Stop being a slave. Stop. Because law-based relationships are never satisfied. There's a whole sermon right there for a marriage, for a friendship, you name it. When a relationship is based on you have to perform, it's impossible to ever live up. Here's a second reason why we're done with this by the power of Jesus is because people pleasing is bondage. It's what that proverb said I read earlier. It's a snare. It traps you. It increases your anxiety. It destroys your creativity. It distracts you from your purpose. It hinders your decision making. It makes you defensive and it robs your peace. No more. Thirdly, people pleasing is empty. People-pleasing is empty. I'm going to bring back a good friend of ours we haven't talked about in a while. I know you miss him. His name is Coelith. <laughs> Do you remember what we learned in the book of Ecclesiastes? Listen, empty is the idea of vanity, meaningless. It's this. Either I strive and strive and strive to get the approval of others, and if I get it, then I have to strive and strive and strive to keep the approval of others you're always striving. It's vanity. It's like chasing after the wind. You remember the Madonna quote I gave you? Madonna said, quote, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. It's always pushing me because though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I am somebody. And my struggle has never ended and it probably never will. And Madonna, I don't know if you're watching, probably not, but If you are, you're right. You never will until you find Jesus. Four. People pleasing is disobedience. People pleasing is disobedience. Where are you getting that? Verse 10. Look at it. Look at the contrast of verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, and and this language is going to be familiar. Do you remember when Jesus said you can't serve God and money? His point in that lesson was this. You ready? You can't have two masters. Eventually, obedience is going to go in one direction. Which means if you're trying to please man, then you're not living to please God. If you're serving, and I'm meaning in the unhealthy way that we've defined, if you're serving, if you're a slave to the opinions of others, then you're not living in obedience to Christ. People-pleasing is disobedient. And lastly, and this is probably the most important, so if you've zoned out, Lakeville venue, anybody, if y'all have zoned out, zone back in for this, because this is at the heart of Galatians. Are you ready? It's anti-gospel. Please, please listen. Think, think. People-pleasing is a form of salvation based on what you do. Think about that. Last week we talked about that legalism is adding something to Jesus. It's Jesus plus something. So people-pleasing is, you ready, functional legalism. Because, are you with me? Because you've added achieving the approval of others onto the approval that's already been achieved for you in Christ. It's I need Jesus and the approval of my spouse. It's Jesus plus Something and Jesus plus something is slavery. Or let me put it this way. Notice it on the screen. People pleasing is a works based salvation to the God of other people. And when you start to see that, you start realizing that even though you're here today saying, I believe there's one true and living God, you live during the week as a polytheist. And you bring your sacrifices of met expectations to the bedroom, to the break room, to the coffee shop, in hopes that your life will somehow measure up and make the gods happy. Anti gospel. Anti gospel because it is a works based approval or salvation. But notice how in all of this, the Apostle Paul shines for us as an example of confidence. Let me show it to you. Look back at the verses that we read a few moments ago and see them kind of from a different angle. Paul, verse 1, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, <laughs> that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, right here, uh, Lakeville venue, everybody, um, those verses not only reveal what Paul is addressing, namely his criticism, but you know what also they reveal? The confidence Paul has In what Jesus has done in his life. Do you see that? Listen, the Judaizers aren't taking this away from me. I don't care what you say about my apostleship. I don't care whether you think I'm legitimate or not. I know this. I didn't receive it from man. I received it from God. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And you aren't taking my freedom I know who I am, I know what Jesus has done, and you're not taking that away from me. That's not arrogance, it's assurance. And you say, well, but what's the difference between arrogance and assurance? Because some of us could take a message like this and become very prideful, and you're right. So let me explain the difference. Notice on the screen, arrogance is security in self. Assurance is security in Jesus. Paul isn't saying, I know I'm a legitimate apostle because I'm awesome. Have you heard me speak? No. What's he saying? I just know what Jesus did. I know what Jesus did in my life. And the Judaizers aren't stealing that from me. Listen to what he says. This is powerful. What he says to the Corinthian church when he's being criticized there. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3 says, It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. A little insert, this is a whole other sermon for another time. Some of you, your biggest critics are yourself i got to move on. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Faith family, that's freedom. You want to see freedom? Here's freedom. What you think about me is a thing. But it's a small thing. What you think about me as my boss, what you think about me as a church... What you think about me as a spouse or friend, it is a thing, but it's a small thing in light of the real thing, which is God is my judge. Oh, that that would be a stick of dynamite that would explode in our life. That's freedom. Let me give you an example of it. Tim Tebow may be one of the most criticized athletes of the last decade. This guy has taken more shots than Mike Tyson. I mean, he just, every time he turns around, it seems like something's being said about him. In fact, one time, Boomer and some of you, if you follow sports, will remember that name. He's a famous quarterback that retired and is now a commentator. And as you know about commentators on TV, they know everything and they're never wrong. And so Mr. Esiason decides to comment on uh, Tim Tebow, and he says he's terrible, he's awful, he's a you know horrible excuse for a quarterback and just rips him to shreds. And as they usually do in the media, they ask Tim Tebow to respond. And here's what he said. I'd be like Rocky Part 42, all right? But uh, <laughs> Tim Tebow says this, quote, I've heard nothing but great things about Mr. Esiason. He was a great player, and I wish him nothing but the best. I disagree with him, and I have reason to disagree. But I don't need to defend myself or attack him. Instead, I'll let God make him look either prophetic or idiotic. (laughs) That's good right there. That's good. That's good. Right answer. And then he ends the quote by saying this. God will take care of it. Because God will take care of me. That's not arrogance. That's assurance. I know who I am. I know what Jesus has done in my life. And you ain't taking my freedom away. Because you're not my God. What you think about me is a thing, but it's a small thing. In light of what my God says about me. So how do we get that freedom? How did Paul have that confidence? It won't surprise you. It shouldn't. It's the gospel. Look at how Paul starts the book. And we'll end here. Verse 3, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins. If you didn't underline this last week, underline this now. Who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. That's the whole point of the book. Jesus has delivered me. It's the heart of the gospel which is big word, justification, which just means approval or acceptance before God. I have a right relationship with God. I have approval before God by faith, not based on what I have done, but what Jesus has done for me. That's the heart of the gospel, which means here is where true freedom is found. You ready? Here it is on the screen. True freedom is found when you do not need the approval of others. Because you have the approval of another. Yes. Yes. And when you start to really get that, it explodes in your life. And you're set free. You're set free from needing to please others. You're not a slave to them anymore. And, and I don't have time to explain this, it also sets you free to live pleasing to God. Listen to me quickly, all right? I hope this will make sense. Knowing that God is pleased with you sets you free to live in a way that's pleasing to God. You're not living in order to please Him because you already have that in Jesus. But that pleasure, that acceptance that you have makes you want to go obey Think of it this way. Put it on the screen. Approval in Christ is fuel for obedience to Christ. I don't have to go out and earn favor. I already have His favor. And because I have His favor, I want to go live for Him. Not for others. That's the freedom of the gospel. Oh, let's take five more hours, right? There's so much there. But this is true freedom. Freedom. How do I know? Because of Jesus Christ. What do you mean? Because it was Jesus who didn't live up to everybody else's expectations. I thought you were going to overthrow Rome. It was Jesus whose life was full of critics. We hate what this man says. It was Jesus who almost everybody viewed inaccurately. And yet it was Jesus that went to the cross. Listen, not to gain His approval, but to gain yours. The good news of the gospel is this, faith family, because Jesus did not defend himself at the cross, we don't have to defend ourselves because of the cross. Jesus can set you free. That's the power of the gospel. I close with this. Martin Luther struggled, like many of us, with this people-pleasing You see, Luther's dad wanted Luther to be a lawyer. And so you can imagine his father's disappointment when Luther becomes a monk. It's almost as bad as being a pastor, all right? I mean, it's a couple steps above, I guess. And so Luther knew he didn't live up to the expectations that his earthly father had for him. And because of that, he started feeling like he could never live up to the expectations his heavenly father had for him. And it consumed him. In fact, listen to what one historian says that this people pleasing did to Luther. He felt alone in the universe. He doubted his faith, his mission, and the goodness of God. He experienced heart palpitations, crying spells, profuse sweating. He was convinced he was going straight to hell. Melanchthon, his friend, even said that the terrors that afflicted Luther were so severe, he almost died. like Sarah. But Luther found freedom in the Gospel. As Luther writes, I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness or approval which the grace and mercy of God justifies us by faith. Thereupon I felt myself reborn And to have gone through the open doors of paradise. Luther was set free. Faith family, I want this for us. I want us to move out of the courtroom of public opinion. And into the courtroom of God's final word. Why? Because stories like Sarah Devon's are real. Because being a slave to the opinions of others can take your life. But Jesus can give you life. Because if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And all God's people said, Amen. Pray with me. Father, I I know that there are many, myself included, that needed this message today. We, We have been so ingrained in our culture, so consumed in the expectation of others that we haven't even seen our slavery. And we want freedom. There is freedom in Jesus. And so that means that our life is to be lived for him and not for others. Help us, this is my prayer help us understand what that really means in our life. And by your power, explode in our life the freedom of the gospel. And if there is somebody here today and they don't know Jesus, the first step to freedom is saying, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I am turning from my sin and I am putting my faith in Jesus Christ and what He has accomplished for me. I receive all the approval I will ever need. Do that work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.